and coming over here today reminded me just how good you are all the time, and especially when I see days like today, it's just a great reminder that um, you love us, you're good to us, you throw us great things, God, and we appreciate it. And now, God, as we look into your word, Father, I pray that your spirit would lead and guide this morning as we look really at a tricky topic, Father, this morning, that you would, your Holy Spirit would t- truly teach us, not my words, but your spirit's word will teach us uh, from your living and active word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we continue on in our study in the Gospel of Matthew, we're now, what we're doing is we're moving into a whole new section, um, a time of ministry in Jesus's life, where he, what he's really going to be doing is he's going to be continuing to significantly raising the bar in our understanding of what it means to actually live at a, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Remember, this has all been about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has been trying to help us to his disciples and the people and us to understand what does it really mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And when we've talked about the kingdom of heaven being this, this reign and this rule in our hearts and in our lives as we submit to God's authority, that's what the kingdom of God is in a smaller sense, okay? Now, this is really, really important what Jesus is doing here because understanding the high standard that living in the kingdom of heaven actually demands, it, what it does for us, it keeps us from lowering the bar uh, to how we and all other, our families and our church as citizens of Jesus is how we live. So what Jesus is doing is constantly helping us to see, no, once you understand what it means to live as a citizen, you're... The bar's going to be raised. You're going to see how things are different. You're going to behave differently. You're going to think differently as you see how different it is from the rest of the world. Because really, understanding this high standard that living in the kingdom demands, what it does, it keeps us from allowing our standard as Christians to really to mirror, to mirror the society around us. I don't know if you ever heard that before. You know, people talk about how, you know, as society goes, we're Christians are here, society's here. You know, we just kind of stay a little bit above society when it comes to how we view things and different things like that. And that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants us to, you know, okay, you're not going to be just like what society says, but let's keep, it, let's keep it somewhat close, but far enough away that you can say, I'm different. I'm a believer. And Jesus is trying to really kind of move that around in our thinking to really think, no, it really is different. That standard for living in the kingdom of heaven really is a high standard. And reality is, is when we lower the bar for ourselves, we start losing out on that joy and that satisfaction and all the things that come with being truly a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's moving into a whole nother part. Now we're in chapter 19 now, okay? And we're going to see how Jesus challenges the cultural standard of what this topic is, and he's going to elevate the kingdom of standard concerning this issue, okay? So he's going to talk about it. He's He's going to challenge what people believe about it, and then he's going to say, here's what the kingdom standard is for this, okay? And what he's going to be talking about mainly is divorce, Okay, this, this, we've come to a time where he's really going to start talking about some different social issues. So in the passage today, we're talking about divorce and marriage and singleness, actually. Okay? So right off the bat, as I say that, right off the bat, I know some of you knew we were coming to this topic and you've said, hey, I'm praying for you, or, you know, 
but don't worry, the morning will go by quick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> but right off the bat, I know that the topic of divorce can be very difficult uh, for some. I know that there are some here that have experienced the pain, the guilt, the disappointment, the deep sense of loss that comes with divorce. And really, it's probably safe to say that every single one of us here has been touched in some way or impacted in some way, either directly or indirectly, by divorce. So as we look at what Jesus has to say, I want to I wanna remind us of two things, okay? Right off the bat, remind of two things. First, for the follower of Jesus, God's word is perf- the perfect and final authority for every area of our lives, okay? We can trust that within every page, every word in that Bible are the very words of God, and that they are meant to show his incredible love for us and to help us understand what it means to live, to truly live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Second, I want to remind you, uh, I remind all of us really, of how gracious and wonderful and forgiving our God is. No matter how far any of us stray from his perfect design for living, we can know that when we repent, that he welcomes us like a perfect father with loving and open arms. Okay, so that's just kind of to set things out here. And the same really goes for our church. You know, we are all broken and flawed people here. All of us are. We are all that way, and, and we are p- people that have experienced his extravagant grace, haven't we? This extravagant grace, extravagant forgiveness of God. And that grace and that forgiveness is to be extended to everybody who comes here, to everybody. Okay, so we need to get this in the right perspective as we jump in. Now, in no way is this passage, and we're going to talk about the exhaustive, exhaustive sermon on the topic of divorce, okay? This isn't the be-all. This isn't the end-all. We preach here verse by verse through the Bible. This is where we are, okay? So we're going to cover what these verses say. And really, just so you know, my goal this morning is to simply do my best to faithfully teach this passage that we've come to in Matthew's gospel, okay? Okay? If afterwards, if you, if you have any questions, which I'm sure this, a lot of times a sermon like this adds more questions, uh, feel free to email dgross at Pacific Bay. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> no, really, when you feel, feel free to afterwards, you can uh, set up a time with myself, one of the elders, and we would love to dialogue uh, further about that. So with all that in mind, let's just dive right on into our passage. So Matthew chapter 19, let's look at the first two verses, Okay. It says, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them. So as I mentioned, we're coming to this part, and there's kind of this turning point, a pivoting point uh, in Jesus's life and ministry, okay? He's been ministering in this whole region of Galilee, which really started about, really probably about 18 months ago for him, Okay. And it started back in chapter four, right after the temptation in the wilderness. And he's come now to the end of this time, and now he's entering into the region of Judea. And what he's actually doing is he's slowly making his way to Jerusalem. Okay, he's slowly heading that way to what we know is facing him in Jerusalem, his um, torture, crucifixion, 
and, and his resurrection. So this is where he's going. So can you imagine as you know, as you turn your face toward, as he turning his face towards something that in, uh, intense, can you imagine the intensity? Because remember, Jesus was fully human too, that he felt like, I want them to understand. And that's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be raising the bar high. I want you to understand how glorious it is to live in the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to say some hard things because I love you. That's what he does here. Now, in typical fashion, large crowds are following Jesus, and he's, and he's healing them. And what oftentimes happens, um, Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders who have a question for him. They always had a nice little question for him, didn't they? This question, really, the intent of this question was really, like so often they were, was to test him. They were testing Jesus to see, or to try to help get him to fall into some kind of a trap, so saying something that would totally discredit him. And they go, aha, see? He is a fake. He is a fraud. So they go for it. They go for uh, something. They go for the big one here. They say in verse 3, look at it, it says, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? See, you know, you understand, back then, as it is sometimes today, but back then, really, divorce was a hotly debated topic. Now, these guys weren't saying, Jesus, is divorce okay? Is it not right okay? Because it, back then, it was taken for granted that vo- divorce was legal. What these guys were saying is, what grounds? What are the grounds for divorce? What grounds actually make divorce legal? They're trying to trap him. They really are. Because really, this debate is really centered on an Old Testament passage. I'm going to put up there, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, where Moses said this. He said, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then he finds no favor in his eyes, in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. All right, so a couple things. First of all, to be clear, this is in no way meant to be an endorsement by God or by Moses uh, on divorce, okay? This law actually came about as a concession, okay? It was more of giving legal protection to women uh, whose husbands had divorced them instead of leaving them destitute, they, give, they would give them this certificate that they would, when they had this certificate in hand, they were free from being falsely accused or uh, they were, and they were free to remarry and their former husband actually did not have a right then to say, hey, oh, I just want you back and then grab her back. So this was really a protection thing, okay? This was all about uh, protecting them. Um, because back, back then, it, within Judaism, there were really two views on what constituted legal grounds for divorce, okay? And they really centered on the interpretation. In this verse, you see, I highlighted here, this phrase, some indecency, okay? This is where the controversy all came about, okay? The original word in Hebrew referred to actual nakedness, yet really what it carried with it was this implication of impropriety or shame, 
You know, most likely some form of sexual indecency. Yet this, this whole idea, this, this word indecency had really become, the definition became really elusive and uh, very fluid by Jesus' time. So people were defining it all over in that map. For instance, the conservative view taught that indecency meant that God required divorce in case of any sexual immorality. Okay, anything that is deemed sexually immoral, divorce, it's a done deal, okay? But then there was the more liberal view that, got, that taught that God allowed divorce for any indecency whatsoever. However you interpreted indecency was totally fine. Your wife could be a bad cook, literally. There was actually, it was actually written that way. She could be a bad cook, this indecent. So you can see that this was the argument that were going on. So basically, the Pharisees are coming up to Jesus. Okay, where do you stand on that? We want to know where you stand, Jesus. Yeah, so obviously, they're not wanting to be taught. They're wanting to catch him. They're wanting him to tick off the people on this side or to tick off the people on that side or say something that went against it all. But here's the great thing about Jesus. Instead of answering their question like he so often did, with a, he answers them with a question of his own. Okay, and here it comes, and what he does, and he also includes the implication of the question that he asks. So check out verses four through six. Jesus answered, he said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man's separate. So here's what's going on here. The Pharisees want to, want to start the conversation at what constitutes little legitimate grounds for divorce. That's where they want to start the conversation. But instead, like we talked about, remember, in order to challenge or to raise the bar for the current understanding and the teaching on divorce, Jesus, though, instead brings them back to God's original intent for marriage in the first place. So he's not even going to go there, okay? Instead of, starting, instead of starting the conversation for what does God allow, Jesus brings them back to what does God want? What does God want? It's like that question that young people or dating people ask a lot of times, how far is too far? I mean, how far is too far? How far can I go before I'm actually sinning sexually? Okay, that's the, that's the big question. How far can I go? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. The question should be, what does God want for me and this person that I'm dating? You see how that, see how that, that's the standard. That's what the kingdom of heaven goes. What does God want? Not what can I get away with? What's the loophole in here? How can I just get, go right up to the line? That's not kingdom living, Jesus says. Kingdom living is looking at what God is wanting for us. Because the Christian life and the life of living in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about figuring out what we can get away with. That's not what the Christian life is. And so often we go there, don't we? That's where our flesh wants to go. What can I get away with? I know, okay, I know what God says. I grew up in church. I know what it But what can I really do? What can I get away with financially? What can I get away with sexually? What can I get away with with how I treat people around me? What can I get away with, as we talked about last couple weeks, how far do I really have to forgive people? That's where we want to go. 
But Jesus is saying, no, that's not where you're going to go. It's about seeking what God wants for us as we seek to please him in every area of our lives. So in these verses, actually what Jesus is doing, he's quoting from the creation account in Genesis. First, you see here that he establishes this complementary relationship of male and female within God's created order. And then in verse 5, the word that he uses for a man holding fast or being united to the wife literally means to cling to. Okay, They're going to cling to, they're to cleave to them. But has a, what it does, this word or this phrase has a primary uh, sense of actually something that is stuck together. Okay, something that is stuck to another thing and not meant to be separated. Not like just like your jelly sandwich that falls face down on the floor. Oh, it's stuck. No, something that comes together and it's not meant to be separated. It's a picture really of, I read this week, they really talk a lot about, it's this whole idea of gluing or cementing together. That's what this phrase comes from. What it really means is in a mysterious way, in, mar- in the marriage relationship, God glues or he cements together two people calling them one flesh. Now, th- we could go into what all that really means, but really what being one flesh is really, it's this uniquely spiritual and emotional and physical union that is designed by God. It's a super power metaphor for being permanently attached. Okay, that's what, that, that's what this means. So the obvious implication of becoming one flesh, according to Jesus, not us, but according to Jesus, that if it is God who has done the gluing and the cementing, then there's no room for any human to try to undo it. See how he's totally turning things around on the Pharisees? They're looking for the out. They're looking for the angle. He said, let's talk about what it's all meant to be like. Let's talk about what marriage is really supposed to be. So once again, what Jesus is saying, his answer here is, don't, he's saying, when you think about marriage, don't go to Deuteronomy first. That's where the first thing they want to go. Don't go, don't try to find the loophole. You ever had that when you're talking to someone about something spiritual and they'll try to take, sometimes take a verse out of context, but the Bible says this, and it's purely to find the out. What can I do? Versus what should I do? So he's taking him back, Moses, to back to Moses, to go back to God's primary plan for marriage. One woman, one man, one flesh for life. Ooh, that could get me in a lot of trouble living here. That's God's original plan. He's saying stop looking for loopholes and look to God's original design. Well, obviously, the Pharisees probably, we don't expect them to go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We feel enlightened. We're glad. We, we just love hanging around you. This is awesome. No. Obviously, they are going to continue to press him. And they're not satisfied with what he has to say. So they go for, let's, let's keep going for the loophole. Look what they say in verse 7 and 8. And they say to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning is not so. So to counter Jesus' answer, the Pharisees point back to this verse that we just talked about. Okay? They taught, their, their thinking is, listen, if it's in there, if Moses made it, because whatever Moses said became the law, then God must be for it. God must be all about 
divorce. Remember again, that verse is when, you, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then he finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency, remember, in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, sends her out of the house, and she departs. They're living on this verse. They're camping there. This is where they're basing the whole argument is on this right here. They're not getting it. They're not listening to Jesus, obviously. Because you see that even though marriage was never intended to end in divorce according to God's design, the people in Moses' day, they were getting divorced. I mean, there's nowhere. You're not going to find anywhere in the Bible that says, okay, go ahead and divorce. God says divorce is good. That works. You're not going to find it anywhere. That's not, that's not, the, and that's where they were going with this. These people had forfeited. They were, fa- they were failing to live up to God's ideal for marriage. So really what happened here to enable people that had been, re- that had rejecting God's original design for marriage to really make the best out of a bad decision, what God did is God allowed for this concession or this provision for them, okay? In his, really, it's, this was all about God's goodness and grace. By the way, did you know what the original, I don't have this down here, you know what the original penalty for um, adultery was in the Old Testament? Death. But God, in his goodness and in his grace and his love for his rebellious children, made a concession, because he, he, he knew that they were doing it anyways. So let's not say it's okay, but let's, let's make the best out of a bad situation here. He was really providing them a way to protect each other and protect people from being mistreated, okay? For having to remain in this severely harmful relationship that was hurting them and to help them to, this whole idea was to help them to move forward, okay, in order to find restoration and to find healing. They were doing it. They were being rebellious, but God just didn't say, okay, fine, I'm going to kill you or fine, I'm going to make you stay in this horrible, you made, you made your bed, now sleep in it. God is saying, I love you, so I'm going to help you guys out here. I don't like this. I don't, but I'm going to help you because I love you. N.T. Wright gives kind of a helpful illustration here. He says this, just as a car is made to drive safely on the road, not to skid around colliding with other cars, so marriage was made to be a partnership of one woman and one man for life, not something that could be split up and resembled or reassembled whenever one person wanted it. Moses didn't say, as it were, when you drive your car, this is how to have an accident. Rather, when you drive your car, take care not to have an accident. But if tragically an accident occurs, this is how to deal with it. See what God was doing here? He was being gracious. So this concession was simply a a, a way to help people to navigate a bad situation in a healthy and appropriate way. Make sense? That's what he was doing. It was helping them to do this. Once again, it was in no way meant to point, yes, see, God approves of divorce. It wasn't do that, but it pointed actually to man's sinful and fallen disobedience to God. Divorce was never God's design. It was never his desire, but really something that he tolerated because of people's hard hearts is what he's saying. Their hearts were hard, or a good word for that is stubborn. They were stubborn, so that's why he did that. 
Now, the law said that you could divorce your wife by giving her a certificate of divorce. But remember, remember what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to raise this bar for people's understanding of the standard of what the standard is for living in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what he does next. Now he's going to raise it up even more. Okay, look at verse nine. He says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus basically is saying, okay, okay, divorce may in certain circumstances be permissible, but here's the deal. If you're going to get a divorce, if you're going to do it for any other reason than sexual immorality and marry someone else, you commit adultery. Wow. Let's pray. No, <laughs> <laughs> Ouch, that's huge. I mean, can you imagine the, the jaws dropping? I mean, divorce back then is like divorce today. At epidemic levels, even within the church, within the, within the body of Christ. So these are hard words, very hard words to hear and words that have been misused quite often, I must say, as well. So here, let's just break this up a little bit. This word for sexual immorality is por- porneia, okay? Which is really a generic word for really any illicit sexual relations of any kind. You know, adultery, uh, fornication, that's sex before marriage, incest, homosexuality. That's what this word uh, means here, okay? So Jesus is saying that uh, sexual infidelity at any, of any kind that involves another person constitute a violation of the marriage covenant that is really deep. It's no small thing. It's deep thing. And divorce is allowed. It is going to be because it just breaks that marriage covenant so deeply. This tells us, what this tells us is how serious and how powerful sexual sin is. It is a powerful thing. I mean, the world wants to tell us, tell us, we see it on TV, we see it everywhere. And our friends even tell that sex is just a physical act, don't they? We'll just want to say it's just a physical act, but it's so much more than that. As believers especially, we've learned that it's so much more than that. It, vol- it involves every bit of us at a deep level of our spirit and of our soul. That's why Jesus sees this thing as a consummate act of betrayal, which can justify and end a marriage because it's so deep within who we are. All right, now... Does that mean then, whenever there's sexual immorality or sexual immorality or adultery that happens in a marriage, that there should be a divorce? Of course not. We know that. That not at all. If sexual immorality occurs within a marriage, Jesus tells us really there's two options, okay? There's two options and only two options that Jesus gives us. Divorce, but we also have it's kind of ironic what the last chapter, what we, isn't it ironic what the last chapter that all has been talking about? What's, what's been the topic that Jesus was talking about like crazy all through Matthew 18? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, obviously, um, that forgiveness was something like this. Um, repentance and forgiveness is a, is a very difficult, difficult thing. But think about it. What we just got done talking about um, disciples, how often do I, how often am I supposed to forgive my brother when they sin against me? Seven times, right? That's a lot, right? No. Unlimited. 
unlimited. Remember we talked about that zillion dollar debt? Zillion dollars, so huge, nobody could ever repay that God totally wiped out of ours. Not easy. This is a, that's, it's, it would be not, it's not easy to forgive in this situation, but it is possible. Has any, have you ever seen this happen before? I have many times. Many times I have seen gospel forgiveness extended slowly and painfully to an offending partner and watched the process of restoration and of healing of, this, of a severely damaged marriage because of sexual immorality. It can happen. It's difficult, very difficult, but it can and it does happen. And Jesus has kind of prepared us to hear that from those last couple sermons from chapter 18. Now, once again, this passage is not an exhaustive treatise on divorce. I can see some of your, I'm, I'm wondering if some of you are thinking different questions going, okay, what about, what about, okay. But one of the big things that does come up, obviously, when we talk about divorce is the question of abuse. Very, 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 very common questions. What if a person is in an abusive marriage? Now, obviously, that's a very complicated situation, but really the truth is that anything that would constitute physical or severe emotional abuse, and that's a very, very, very broad topic there, really, it's a, that is a deep violation of that person. Deep violation of that person. Okay, I know it's easy. The, the danger in this is saying that um, someone would say, well, I feel, I feel that, like this is abuse, and maybe it's not. But that's not for us to judge. The, real, the reality is any kind of abuse, emotional, sexual, what, you know, verbal, ongoing, unrepentive abuse, Man, that, that, is, that is just absolutely a violation of that person. And unless there is repentance and proven change, really divorce really might be the best choice in that situation. It really might be. Um, the truth is that according to the Bible, and it even says in the Bible, God hates divorce. It was never his intent. But sometimes in, in certain situations, the reality is that divorce is the lesser of the evils. That's just the reality, because God loves us so much. He would never say, okay, I, want, I, I know your husband's beating you or treating you like absolute garbage constantly and is not going to change, but until he commits adultery, you're in that thing. That's crazy. That's just insane. God cares so much more about us as individuals and as people that to, to have that kind of legalistic uh, view of things. Once in a while, again, this is a, a touchy and tricky issue, but I think if we come at it knowing how much God loves and cares for us and we're willing to know the truth, not just try to do, fit it in our own life, I think we can really learn um, a lot of things. So we've seen that Jesus holds up this divine ideal of marriage to the Pharisees, okay? This is, this is how... Important. This is the standard for marriage. So how do they, how do they respond? What do you think the, the Pharisees did? Well, I don't, we have no idea. It doesn't say. It must not have been much. They must have hung their heads and walked off and dang it, he did it again to us. You know, it's like he, he did it again. We don't, have, we don't have an answer. We don't know. But we do know what the disciples did. We do know that they had a response to this. And look at what they say in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. 
So in light of Jesus's, this raising this bar, obviously they, the disciples were thinking about marriage here. Jesus has brought it up here as being a citizen of, of the kingdom, and he's challenged his conventional thinking. Disciples are wondering, maybe it'd be better not, better to not get married. I mean, if we really want to honor God, if we really want to truly honor his principles, whew, that's a high standard. One, by the way, that they had not really ever heard. It was a lot looser for them, even living in a Jewish society. So he raises the bar, and they're like, uh, this is no small commitment, Jesus. Maybe, maybe for the sake of honoring the marriage commitment, we should not be married. Well, I don't know if they were being serious or they were just processing out loud, but Jesus takes their statement literally. He, he, he goes for it, okay? And, he's, and he uses it as a way to teach a higher standard of kingdom living. Look what he says in verses 11 and 12. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Once again, let, let's pray. Yeah, that's what? <laughs> what? Uh, well, here it is. Yeah, you know, the, you know, yes, the standard for marriage is high. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't even think about going into marriage lightly. Don't even think about it. The, the standard is so high. Yet before you think about not marrying, before you think about being, okay, I want to I honor this thing so I'm not going to get married, he says, before you, you think about that, be careful. This is, that's, not just, that's not for everyone. That, what you're choosing is not for everyone. You see, back then especially, it was expected that you would marry. Everybody got married back then, okay? Pretty much the only people that didn't get married back then were eunuchs, people that were incapable of being married and fulfilling the marriage uh, commitment. So they didn't do it. Since that was the case, what Jesus does here is he uses the model of a eunuch to describe those who choose not to marry, you know, see there, he says that there are those that are, were eunuchs because of involuntarily, because either they were born with some disfigure or they just can't uh, do, uh, be married, or someone made them that way. Back then, a lot of people, were, men were made eunuchs in order to like uh, guard the women and guard the harems and different things like that. So he's saying some people are like that, okay? But there are those that do it voluntarily, that we're that way voluntarily for the sake of the gospel. There were those that you, that you can remain unmarried and remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom in order to better devote yourself to God's work. We all remember, remember, remember uh, what the apostle Paul said about his own singleness. Remember what he said? He said, now as a, con now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. Because he was experiencing this. I wish that all were as I myself am. He's talking about being single. But each has his own gift. And younger people are playing, please, God, don't give me that gift. But, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. See, the truth is that if you're someone who doesn't have this burning desire that I've got to get married, I have to, or 
things just, my life is just miserable. If you're not having this burning passion and desire to be married, it could be possibly because God has actually gifted you with singleness. Gifted you in order to be more effective, the most effective you could possibly be for the gospel. And we got to think, and, and I don't think we've done a very good job in the church, especially of honoring singleness, okay? This is a unique and special gift. And sometimes it's a gift given that you don't think you even want it, but you got it. And some people get it, and the Lord is do, moving circumstances in your life to show you that you do and, and then allow you to love it. Like Paul, Paul, man, he did he, back there. Oh, we are on. We're back. We're back. All right. Now I got to find out where the heck I am. Uh, okay. The apostle, yeah, what the apostles Paul said. And I think that there really is important in the church. We need to honor people that are single. We need to see this as this is an amazing opportunity. And even if you don't have that gift, people are single. Oh, when are you going to get married? You're, you're almost 30. When are you Really? Once again, there's that view of what what can I get out of this? And then he said a verse is, wow, you're single? How are you using that for the Lord? Really, that's the cha- that's, that should be where it goes. If God decides to have you get married again, great, wonderful. But until then, man, use that gift that you have of lack of a, I was going to say burden. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Uh, here's what one commentator said. It puts, I really like what he says here. He says, the kingdom of heaven is so important that it should seem perfectly normal if someone want, would want to give up marriage for it. Wow. Remember, kingdom of heaven. This is what it's about. You know, our society says, no, it's about finding a mate. It's about being fulfilled. It's about being ha- happy. Jesus, in this sermon about divorce, is completely elevating. The number one reason for this sermon, is to ele- this passage, is to elevate the imp- incredible greatness, wonderful, and my- amazingness of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? It's about, yeah, it's about divorce. But really? It's about the kingdom of heaven. And how wonderful it is, and how great it is, and how we should seek after it, and we should seek to see live after live the things that are about the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying here. So that's the, and that's the point of what he's doing: kingdom living, this reign, this rule of God in our hearts and in our lives as we seek to uh, live for Him. Whether it's whether it's in um, singleness, whether it's in married, the kingdom of heaven demands a high view of both of these things, a very high view. 
say, both reflecting the values of the kingdom of heaven. Well, let me close off with back to the, back to the marriage here. If you are, if you find yourself in a difficult marriage, let me speak to you just for a second. If you find yourself in a difficult marriage, know that your heavenly father sees and he sees you and he offers the strength and he offers the hope that you need in order to still faithfully reflect the values and the standard of the kingdom. I've talked to parent couples before. It's our marriage is difficult. It's, it's on the rocks. That does not mean that the kingdom of the values of the kingdom of heaven, the standard of the kingdom of heaven cannot still be lived out in your individual lives and your marriage as you strive to be whole again, as you strive to get help, as you strive for healing. We always think, no, here's the result. The end result is the only thing that will honor God. We forget that the process honors God so much. The process honors God. So if you're a difficult marriage, Honoring God and the kingdom is so possible. And if, you have been, and if you have been divorced, know that God will use that experience. Like he does with so many things in our lives, he's gonna, he'll use that to refine you, to help you cling to him, to help you seek after him, to show you his grace. Because the reality is no pain, no mistake, no regret is wasted. None. None of them are wasted. God ultimately, and often in ways that we'd never ever get to see, uses things like this for our good and for his glory. Look at this. We all know this verse if you've been in church for very long. The Apostle Paul said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. All things things, including divorce. May we as citizens of the kingdom of heaven strive in the power of God's spirit to reflect this high and lofty standard of that kingdom, yet while all the time extending to ourselves and to other people the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that actually characterizes that kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us, how it corrects us, how it helps to change our view. And I pray that for all of us this morning, that because of your word this morning, our desire to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that the standard that we desire to live has been raised. And not by performance, but that will just, that it is something that's going to drive us more and more to our knees to beg you, beg you for the strength and the grace and the ability to do that because we cannot do it on our own strength. Thank you that you provide that strength and that goodness and the forgiveness, God. May we all leave here knowing that because the kingdom is great and you are great and you are in us, that you allow us to participate in that high standard of kingdom living. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.